Heavenly Father, give us courage. Give us courage to follow wherever it is that you lead us. Give us courage to turn away from every senseless idol, every false god that we may be enslaved to. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, for always loving us, even when you knew we were at our worst. We praise you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, guys. Welcome to week two of this four weeks long sermon series called Known. To know and be known, two of our deepest needs as relational beings. And in this fast-paced, disconnected digital world that we live in, it's easy to have the followers, to have the connections, to have all the fans online, but to still feel completely alone. The good news is that we serve an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving creator who knows us more deeply than anyone else does. And as we learned last week when we looked at Psalm 139, it gives us a clear picture of at least two things that we need to hold close to us at all times. Number one, that God's comprehension and understanding of all things has no limits. He knows and sees every aspect of our lives for better or for worse. And number two, the all-knowing, all-seeing God of the universe says that we are wonderful. So today, we're going to take a, maybe an even deeper dive as we seek to understand what it really means to be known by God. Now, depending on who you ask or maybe even what article you read, it's pretty much understood that America is facing an epidemic of loneliness. It appears that almost half of our population experiences significant loneliness. The numbers are regularly higher among the young people and the elderly, and, and obviously a global pandemic has affected everyone, making this an ever-increasing problem. But this isn't how it's supposed to be. We were meant for more. We were designed as relational beings born into families and wired for fellowship. Speaking of fellowship, have you guys missed lunch and the fellowship that goes along with it? Little tidbit, next week, next Sabbath, lunch is starting up. So fellowship comes back. It, and from my day job, it probably should come as no surprise that solitary confinement is the punishment often used to punish criminals. Isolation, loneliness, or awful ways 
to live. But God knows that already too, doesn't he? God knows that, but idols don't. The main passage that we're going to look at today comes from Galatians chapter 4, and this is what it says. It says, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles? Of this world. Hear Paul's pastoral heart here. He's saying, hey guys, you know all those false gods, all those idols that you've been serving? Well, they don't even know you. They don't care about you. In fact, you're enslaved to them. Idolatry is a one-way relationship. Actually, you can't even call it a relationship. Because a relationship implies reciprocation, interaction. It has to be a two-way street. So idolatry is a one-way relationship, so it's a dead end. It's, it's a dead-end road. And yet, still, all of us choose at one point or another in our life to see how far down that idolatry road we'll go. Galatians 4.9 So, now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you. See, there comes a point when we realize just how far down that road we've gone, just how dark the road of idolatry has become, and we will turn back to God. And we look to reestablish that connection. We, we recommit our lives to an actual relationship with the creator of this world. And when we come to know and understand God, we realize that God already knows us. He knew us from the very beginning, and he knows everything about our lives. Nothing is hidden from him. He's there when we sleep. He's there when we get up. He's there in the pain. He's there in the triumph. He's always watching over us. At some point, we realize that with God, we're never alone. In fact, Matthew 28, Jesus told us that. He said, be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end of the age. He says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Deuteronomy says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go before ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. For those of you either in the room or online today who think that you've done things too horrible to be counted as being a member of God's family. Or maybe you have something awful going on in your life right now that you can't reconcile with God's grace and his mercy. Let me take a moment. Let me take a moment to remind every single one of you 
myself included, that he loves us, he knows us, even at our worst. He will always love us. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The key to this verse is how Paul identifies God's demonstration of love for us. It was by sending his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf while we we're still sinners. If you look at that verse again, change it a little bit. But God showed his great love for me by sending Jesus to die for me while I was still a sinner. We can't work hard enough to earn salvation. It's impossible to earn salvation. It's only because of God's grace that we have been saved. Ephesians puts it this way, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't even take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. It's not based on anything you could do or you couldn't do. It's based upon a father's unconditional love for each and every one of us. God chose to send salvation even though he knew full well that we didn't deserve it and that we were steeped in sin. In spite of all of our faults, in spite of our idolatrous ways, in spite of ourselves, God chose to provide a path to reconciliation and redemption. He chose once and for all to establish an incorruptible connection with his creation through Jesus. He sees everything from the beginning to the end, and he knows everything. He knows what you need and how you need it. And I believe, I believe he sees the best in his creation. He sees the best in us, and he knows how to draw that out of each and every one of us. We've already discussed God's all-knowing and all-powerful attributes. Admittedly, those can seem a bit comforting, maybe even a bit creepy, depending on how you think about it, to know that God knows every single detail of our lives. But we can be free. We can be free from hiding things from, from him because at the end of the day, nothing is actually hidden from him. But what happens? What happens when we're living in a way that we think is best? when in fact, it's not the best. Who can we turn to when, when we need someone to check our blind spots? See, this is where having an all-knowing 
God and his character becomes so important to us. He is able to see. He's able to know what's best for us. Proverbs 19 says this, Many are the plans I have in mind in the mind of a man, but it is a purpose of the Lord that will stand. Who knows you better than God? Who knows your strengths, your weaknesses, and your future better than Him? Who knows what's best for you? He does. To illustrate this idea, I want to spend a little time in Acts chapter 9 where we read about the, the conversion of Saul. It's a long passage. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them in, both men and women, and to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. It's interesting. Saul knew who was asking because he answered it in his own, his own response. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice. But Saul, no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. See, we see Jesus literally intervene in Saul's life. And what an intervention it was. Saul was traveling, breathing threats and murder to root out and persecute as many disciples of Christ as he could. And he, he very much believed that he was on the right path. Saul believed he was doing the right thing. But God knew better. Jesus knew that there was more to Saul's life. And that's where we see God's all-knowing nature come into play. Listen, listen again to what the Lord says to Ananias about Saul. He says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. God knew what he had created Saul to become. Going back to what we learned in Psalm 139, we know that God formed and knit Saul together. God numbered his days and created him with a purpose. Saul was chosen to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Saul turned Paul would go on to become one of the most prolific missionaries the world has ever known. He established countless churches and wrote much of what we now have in the New Testament. Included in those writings, in Paul's letter to the church he helped to establish in Galatia. The letter we referenced to begin our time today, and I want to turn back to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, where he said, So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you. See, Paul understood, maybe better than anyone else, that is, as he came to know and to understand God, that God's heart for his people, for his church, his kingdom, for all of eternity, as Paul knew more, he realized that God already knew him. From the very beginning, God knew Paul and purposed him and chose him to be an integral part of establishing his kingdom here on earth. God knew Saul at his worst. And his worst, quite frankly, is some of the worst that we've ever seen. What he did to persecute and to destroy the early church were abhorrent acts of intolerance and hatred. But God knew there was more to Saul. So he called him out. He knew how to get Saul's attention. Saul turned Paul is a story about God's eternal understanding and comprehension. It's a story about a man known and loved by God who helped to turn the world upside down with the good news of Jesus. And if God knows how to get the best out of someone like 
Saul. You better believe that he knows how to do the same for each and every one of you. As we wrap up today, it's important for us to read that second half of the verse in Galatians 4.9 that, that we've looked at. See, the entire verse says, so now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world? There are many seasons in our lives where we feel more or less connected in a relationship with God. Sometimes it can be due to a lack of effort or engagement on our part. And sometimes it can simply be a symptom of a difficult and trying time. The key, however, is to recognize that we were created as relational beings which we'll talk a little bit more about next week, that, that we will seek out a connection one way or another. That deep-rooted need and desire deep inside of us to know, to be known, and to know will lead us back down the path of idolatry as we try to fill that with anything that we can. But as Paul would say, how can you turn back to the weak and to the worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Why would you go back there? Idolatry is a one-way, dead-end road. It leads to slavery. It's an extremely lonely way to live. But God has so much more for each of us. He has redemption and reconciliation available through the sacrifice of his son. He knows you and he loves you. So today is as good of a day as any other to repent, to turn away from any idol or any earthly thing looking to occupy the space in your life solely meant for God. Those other things will enslave you. But Jesus, will set you free. So take some time today, tomorrow, this, this week to prayerfully consider what we've talked about. Recommit yourself. Re-establish that connection. Return to the only one who fully knows you and fully loves you. Prophet Joel says this. He says, this, that, that is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not to punish. God is calling you out today. So let's respond to that with worship and prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know us even when we're at our worst, 
that you love us even when we're at our worst. Help us to make that commitment that when we see that, that we won't turn back to the idols, to the worthless things of this world. Help us to keep our eyes on you and you alone. We praise you for that. We pray for that. Make us stronger. Help us with that connection. Help us to know that no matter what bad things we've done, you love us. And nothing will keep us away from you. Nothing will stop that love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.